This is the podcast for RUF at App State. Everyone is welcome and no one is unexpected. For more information, visit us at appstate.ruf.org. Welcome to RUF Large Group. My name is Rob Heron, and I'm the campus minister here with RUF App. And this semester, we've been looking each week at big questions. We said that questions are powerful because they take our attention and they direct our attention towards something else. And the big questions of life, like what is true, what is freedom, they direct our attention and our focus toward what is most important, what's ultimately important. And what I want you to consider is that when we direct our attention toward the God of the Bible, what we find is something that's even better than getting the answers that we think that we want, which is that we get him. And so let's look at another big question this week, first by reading from the Bible. You can see up there, starting with 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Matthew 10.39 Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Isaiah 62.4 You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would show us the truth, and by showing us the truth, you would show us who we are so that we might be free to live in reality, to know what is good, and to know to whom we belong. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Identity is profoundly powerful. Identity is who you are, and it directs you, and it shapes you shows you where you're going. And one really interesting demonstration of this has to do with the St. Lucian parrot. There's a whole sermon about parrots. What are they? Why are they? So this, I didn't know about this until I went to a conference a couple years ago, and this story was, was told about the St. Lucian parrot, and it is unique to the island of St. Lucia, which is this tropical island. And a number of years ago, this parrot on the island of St. Lucia was going extinct. There were less than 100 parrots on the entire island. And one college student in London found out about it, was concerned, and decided to move over there to the island to do his graduate research project on the bird and how to save it. And through his research, he brought some recommendations to the local government to say, here's how we can rescue it. And mainly having to do with protecting it from people trying to capture it or kill it, and also using funds from tourism to funnel back into a bird sanctuary. And the government said, that's great, we want to do that, but we have to get the people of the island of St. Lucia to vote in order to pass this legis legislation to protect 
the bird. But the problem was the people of St. Lucia had no idea that this parrot even existed by and large. They didn't know that it was in trouble. And so what the government did is they started a social media, basically social propaganda campaign to re-engineer a sense of St. Lucian identity. And you, there were bumper stickers and banners put everywhere saying, we are St. Lucia. We are St. Lucia. And at the heart of this was rebranding what it meant, what their identity was as St. Lucians, really, in terms of being a St. Lucian is that we care about our own. And this parrot is one of our own, and it's in danger, so we've got to protect it. And this social media campaign, the social propaganda campaign, led to this entire new way of, of looking at themselves as the people, and it rescued this parrot from extinction. Let's keep talking about parrots. No. Really, this is a great example of how identity formation can be used for good, but it's also just generally a good picture of how identity is powerful. The way you conceive of your identity, who you are, shapes what you think about yourself, how you live. It shapes where you're going. What, is the, what are the implications if we're not just confronted with one appeal to our identity? Hey, this is who you are. But what if these appeals are constant? This is who you are. What if it's not just once a day? What if it's almost infinitely throughout the day there are appeals to our identity because we are vulnerable to these appeals because we want to know who we are and who we are is powerful. So what if identity and appeals to your identity, hey, this is who you are. What if it's not just, what if it can't just be used for good? What if it's also used in really destructive ways? What if identity is, is really a central part of our lives where we experience either flourishing or great destruction and devastation. But it does us no good to, to stop thinking about the question, who am I? Because it is central to what it means to be human. And so let's look at that question tonight. Who am I? That's the question. Who am I? Or what is my identity? What's your identity? And I want to look at this from the Christian perspective by looking at three questions that fall underneath it. One, what is identity? Two, where do we look for it? And three, where do we get it? So one, what is identity? Two, where do we look for it? And three, where do we get it? So first, let's look at what is identity? And when we use the word identity, we're talking about two things. We're talking about, one, a sense of ourselves, what it means to be you. But we're also talking about a sense of worth, what makes you valuable. And both of these things, sense of self, sense of worth, are, are apparent in what Paul is telling his audience here in 1 Corinthians 4. We look at that first passage. So he, Paul, the author, is telling this group of first century Christians how they should regard him and the other Christian leaders. But you see in verse 1, he, his understanding of himself is as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. In other words, his understanding of himself is as someone called to serve Jesus and, and someone who is called to faithfully deliver or say what is true about God himself. That's how he understands himself. But there's something else connected to identity for him, which is the issue of commendation or approval. In verse 5, he makes clear that lasting commendation or approval comes from God. So this is how Paul evaluates Identity. It's his sense of who he is, but it's also his sense of where his worth is, where his value is. 
Both of these go together. In the Oh Hello's song, Dear Wormwood, the, the lead singer Tyler Heath, he's picturing his childhood self when you look at the lyrics. He's picturing himself as a child sitting in his room, basically being assaulted by these ugly, false voices, these forces that are convincing him that he is who he really isn't. And he says, there before the threshold, I saw a brighter world beyond myself. And in my hour of weakness, you were there to see my courage fail. For the years have been long and you have taught me well to sit and wait, planning without acting, steadily becoming what I hate. So he's picturing himself under attack, and he's, it's not just his sense of who he is that's under attack, it's his sense of worth. Both are together. His identity is under attack. At the end of the song, he responds triumphantly toward this ugly, harmful voice and says, I know who I am now. And he, he's rooting himself back in his true identity by rooting himself in where his worth really is. Identity is an inescapably essential part of being human because it tells you who you are, which tells you where your worth is. That's the way identity works. And from childhood on, the need to understand who we are and communicate who we are and where our worth is, is there. Sometimes I'm talking with my son Robert and I joke with him and I call him muskrat. The name that I call him. And I'll say, you're a muskrat. And he hilariously gets offended and says, I'm not a muskrat. I'm like, oh, okay, am I a muskrat? No one's a muskrat. He says, I'm not a muskrat, I'm Pobbert, which is his like, funny name for himself. And the reason I use that name, we both, we listened to the song by Doc Watson, who's Boone uh, legend, called Muskrat. And Robert thinks the song is funny, but he doesn't want to be called muskrat, because the whole song is about this muskrat who gets into a farmer's crop, and then he smells terrible. Muskrat, why do you smell so bad? So Robert, even from this early age, he knows that he wants to assert, I'm not muskrat, I'm pobbert. And he wants, to, he wants a claim to where his worth really is, which is, the, I don't smell terrible all the time. Just some of the time. This is why the, the question of identity is so weighty, is because it gets to who you are and where your worth is. So if someone is rooting their identity and their intelligence, if that's their primary identity, what they're saying, or what functionally is true, is that their sense of self comes from their intelligence and where their worth is is found in their intelligence. If we find our primary identity through romantic connection, then we are seeking to know who we are primarily through that romantic connection. And we're saying, this is where I find my value and my worth. That's what identity is. So maybe it's very clear, this is why it matters so much. It tells you who you are and it tells you your worth. So second, let's ask the question, where do we look for it? Where do we look for it? So in 1 Corinthians 4, back again, Paul addresses the two places we naturally look for our identity. We look for it from others and we look for it from within ourselves. In verse 2, Paul writes, it is required of stewards that they be found Faithful. So Paul wants to be obedient to the calling that he's been given as a servant of Jesus, as a steward of God's truth. But he continues in verse 3, It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Paul doesn't look for his identity from others, but he also doesn't find it with his own, within his own understanding of who he is and where his worth is. He says, even though he's not aware of anything against himself, he doesn't look for his identity within, within, within his own perception or feelings about himself. I do not even judge myself. 
Why? Because looking for your identity from others, but also from within yourself, is a dead end. And this is true because, as a pastor named Tim Keller has put it, who I've learned a lot from on this point, looking to others and looking within yourself, it doesn't give you an identity that's secure or durable enough to weather, withstand change and failure. During Auburn uh, football's matchup with Georgia State last year, they were down by 12 points going into halftime, and their starting quarterback, Bo Nix, hadn't got them in the end zone that entire half. So they're down to a team that everyone thought that they were supposed to beat and beat handily, and they're down. And at one point, the Auburn home crowd, angry and probably really scared, starts chanting, we want TJ, we want TJ, we want TJ, asking for the backup, TJ Finley, the whole crowd. And I don't know Bonix personally, not yet, but I can imagine what having my home crowd chanting, screaming for my replacement would feel like. If any sense of your identity, yourself and your worth were attached to football and your success in it, I would not only be disappointed, I would be crushed, devastated. That's what it would do to me. So looking for your identity from others is a dead end because their praise is fickle. And their opinion of you is, is vulnerable to change, especially when you fail. But recognizing this, that that's true, we know that other people can fail you, we immediately think we have the answer. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. Don't look for your identity from them. Look for it from within yourself. I mean, more traditional understandings of identity connect it to family and culture and tradition. But a modern identity says, find it deep within yourself. Follow your heart. Be yourself. Don't let anyone tell you who you are. So we look for our identity through our feelings or our internal emotional world. Being yourself means expressing your inner desires. And I think to our modern ears, that sounds like a really appealing option. It sounds better than finding it from other people. What maybe might be a problem about this way of finding yourself, finding it within? Before we look at maybe a couple of ways that, this, that there's cracks in this, I just want you to, to ask yourself, how successful has the modern campaign to find your identity and your worth within, disconnected from outside forces. How successful has that been? How much more secure are we? How much happier are we? Just something to consider. But one flaw in the identity within plan is that when we say that we need to just express our desires and that's the way we find ourselves, our desires are often at conflict with one another. And one set of desires we champion and we say, this is who I am. But then another conflicting set of desires, we say, that's not who I am and we suppress it. I mean, you, you may have a strong desire to speak your mind freely, to say what comes to mind, because are you really being yourself? Are you really being authentic if you don't say everything that comes to mind? On the other hand, you have a desire to not offend so you don't lose friendships, so you don't lose social standing. Both of these desires maybe are present within you. So which one do you choose? They're conflicting. They're both in you. Which one do you choose? 
But on top of that, even your desire to control your words, to not offend, they don't, these are, that may be a desire, but it doesn't just spring up within you out of nowhere. It's shaped and formed by the culture around you, which places a priority on not offending. My point really is just that you haven't just looked within yourself totally disconnected from everything else. You can't escape being shaped by outside forces. But there's, there's another problem with just look within. That's the way you find yourself. We've tried to disconnect our identity from outside stuff, which is impossible, but it has left us so vulnerable to the schemes of advertisers that see you and see me as the, really the best demographic for selling their stuff to by selling an identity to you. Maybe more than ever, we are unsure of who we are. Our sense of self, our sense of worth is so shaky. And so when people are seeking to sell you cars or a home or a food, whatever brand it is, they are, they're really selling you a stable sense of self and a stable sense of worth. And then in the campaigns, they may be saying, be yourself. But what they're really telling you is, let us tell you who you are by our stuff. But, but here's the truth. You can't escape forming a stable, durable identity, sense of self and worth outside of connecting to something outside of yourself. But really in every form, the modern promise of identity, it's a lie. It's lying to you. And it's a lie that will shape you in harmful and in crushing ways. The modern identity is something that must be achieved. Something that must be achieved. It invites you to find yourself in your career, but when it is dissatisfying or when you fail, you lose yourself. It invites you to find yourself in love and sex, but when that is dissatisfying or when you're rejected, you lose yourself. It invites you to find yourself in being a better person, unlike all those bad people, but then that twists you into an angry and bitter and harsh and judgmental lost version of yourself. It invites you to find yourself in the internal world of your emotions. But when that turns out to be a whole mess of conflicting and confusing stuff, you feel lost. It's all a lie. And that's where we've been looking. So we've seen what identity is, where we look for it. But third, let's look at where do we get it? Where do you get a stable and secure sense of self and worth? Who you are. When we read the words of Paul, you notice how secure he is, not only here, but throughout his letters. He knows who he is. He knows where his worth is. Where did he get such a durable understanding of who he is? His his commendation, he says, comes from God. In verse 4, it is the Lord who judges me. Who he is is determined by God. His worth is set by God. And so he is secure. That, that if we think about it, they may not sound like good news. Who you are and your worth is determined by God. But what if I fail God? What if I've already failed God a bunch? Oh, doesn't this mean that I have to prove and perform just like I have to do for other people in order to get this commendation from God, in order to know that I have a secure identity before him? Paul doesn't seem to think so. But how is this the case? That he's entirely secure. You look there in Matthew 10, 39. This is where Jesus tells his followers 
Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever searches for his or her life, your identity from others or within yourself, you lose yourself. But when you lose yourself, when you submit your entire identity to Jesus, you tell me who I am, you find yourself. You find a stable sense of security, self, and worth. You will know who you are. But what kind of identity is this? You look at for, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul again says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, if you are in Jesus, if you're united to him by submitting all of your identity to him, you have an entirely new renovated life, an entirely new identity that's not achieved. It's received. Nicknames are really fascinating to me, especially the ones that require like three levels of explanation. But what I've found is that for the most part, nicknames are given to people because they just fit. Even if you, you, people don't understand, they just fit or the other person has earned it. One of my best friends, his name is T-Bone. And he fits the name so that I don't think anyone, his, his grandmother, nobody calls him his real name. Everyone knows him, his T-Bone, because he fits it and he's earned the nickname. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, God essentially tells his people that he's going to nickname them. He's going to give them a new name that's going to replace their current name. Only what he's giving them is more than a name, it's an identity. And the really shocking thing is that the name that he gives them is the opposite of what fits at that moment and the opposite of what they've earned. So there in Isaiah 62, 4, God promises, You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her. The identity that would seem to fit God's people at this point is forsaken and desolate. But that's not the name, the identity that God gives them. What is the name he gives them? My delight is in her. The identity he gives is as one in whom he perfectly delights. How would God answer this kind of promise? When you hand over yourself and your worth to Jesus, the new identity you receive is this. God delights in me. God adores me. That's an identity you did not achieve. It's only one you receive. It's not given because you performed well. Instead, it's given exactly because God loved you when you were seeking yourself and your worth everywhere but in him. This is an identity that stays the exact same when you succeed and when you fail. When you are happy and when you are low, it's durable for every part of your life so that nothing, nothing outside of you, nothing within you can change this identity and tell you who you are because God gets to do that. Can you imagine what would change in us if, if we believe this and the more that we believe this? We can pursue goals and succeed without getting our entire selves wrapped up in our success. We can utterly fail without being crushed and devastated. 
We can seek to love others without attaching our sense of self and worth to them. And we can be hurt by others without losing ourselves because God tells me, he tells you who you are. Why? Because Jesus, who fits that name, who earned that name, gave his life at the cross so that we might find ourselves identified in him and by him and through him forever. Who am I? In Christ, I am his and he is mine. Who are you? Who are we? Lose yourself and find yourself. Let me pray. Father, thank you that uh, the name that you have given us, the identity you have given us, is that your delight is in us because of Jesus and because of what he has done. So I pray that we would uh, tonight um, hand over our self, our worth, um, our very being uh, to you so that we might know uh, with great security that we are Christ and he is his. And we ask this in his name. Amen.